This past August, the Chicago Maroon dropped a feature on Steven Stevanovich, famed university trustee. This story involves $1 billion valuations, unpaid pledges, Ponzi schemes. I was able to sit down with Spencer Demner and Yuram Choi, the reporters on this project, along with two correspondents from the podcast team to learn the nuances of this story and see how it unraveled as they reported it. With that being said, please take a listen. I'm Julia Radhakrishnan. I'm Jack DePizzi. I'm Austin Christo. We're sitting down with Spencer Demner and Yuram Choi. Yuram and Spencer reported on prolific university trustee Steven Stevanovich this past August. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. So there's a lot here to uncover. I think the best way to begin is just understanding how you guys even stumbled upon this story. Yeah. So um, Yuram found it initially. Um, Yuram can talk a little bit more about how he did that. And then we basically just were writing up this story about a lawsuit against the university. Like the first thing we found was, okay, someone is suing the university and they want to stop this donation and they say that this guy Stevanovich is in debt basically. And we were basically ready to write that up. And then you were messaged me and he's like, wait, I think this guy, you know, might be under SEC investigation. We followed a footnote from the initial lawsuit, which was like, by the way, this company looks pretty sketchy. And then the whole investigation into his other companies and things like that sort of spiraled out of that. Yeah, so normally SEC investigations are, are private things. So like the SEC just decides, you know, we're going to subpoena this company to try to get as many documents as possible to start investigating. But in this case, um, one of the actors uh, that was subpoenaed, his name was uh, David Groen, um, he was resisting the subpoena, or at least according to the SEC. So the SEC tried to, well, filed a suit. Also one of his accountants resisted as well. Yeah, also one of the accountants. And the accountants resisted as a result of um, Stavanovich allegedly interfering in the process. Um, So basically the um, SEC had to file a suit to try to compel David Groen, um, uh, who who is the head of this company called Skyworks that uh, Stavanovich basically owns, um, to comply with the subpoena and release certain documents. And so that's how we sort of became aware of this SEC investigation. Okay, so you guys stumble upon these this lawsuit against the university somehow, and from there you guys follow a footnote and the whole story blows up. So let's start from the beginning and kind of let's get an understanding of how you guys began to figure out who is Steven Stavanovich. So, you know, he's a trustee, obviously. Uh, there, there's a certain amount that you can know from his public profile. As a trustee, he's this hedge fund guy, basically. He's done a lot of financial work over the past few decades and he owns this company or at least he sort of owns this company that's actually something we had to get to later um i think the first step after we found out about the sec investigation was we didn't really know anything about the company skyworks which is supposedly like 1.7 billion dollars of his net worth and so we were just going to their website and seeing like you know do they have press mentions um and it was just a little bit weird like their website had all these photos and they were all like so beautiful but they were all computer generated um and you know there were all these press releases but mostly they seemed to not have been carried by anyone they were just like press releases posted to websites whose purpose is to post press releases um and we couldn't really tell whether they had ever you know built a plane in the past 10 years or something and so at that point we were starting to wonder if there was like more to look into in terms of legal filings and things like that to figure out you know, what, what is this company's actual purpose? And it, it sort of helped that, um, like, Stevanovich had sort of a, a 
a, a record um, of engaging in, oh, allegedly engaging in malicious behavior. So we did, in, in fact, cover Stavanovich before, and the incident was surrounding um, his alleged involvement in a Ponzi scheme, one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history called the Petter Scheme, um, between 2002 and 2008. So the Thomas Petter's Ponzi scheme was one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history. Guilty on all counts. In just the last hour, jurors in the Tom Petters fraud trial have come back with a verdict. For the nation's third largest Ponzi scheme crumbled. The biggest fraud in U.S. history. I I'm not going to comment on uh, Mr. Petters as, as an individual. Uh, the evidence that we put together demonstrated his orchestration of a $3.5 billion fraud scheme. Found out about Savanovich's connection. Uh, did that lead you to an entirely different part uh, or angle that you're going to take on the article? Well, not necessarily. Yeah, not, not exactly. Yeah. Because the, the thing is that that's been public. Mm -hmm. um, that was what we wrote our article about in 2010. Mm -hmm. You know, he he certainly has, at the very least, you know, bad luck about you know who he invests with because there was this scheme which he gave a bunch of money to. Uh, there was another scheme with a financier named Mark Dreyer um, that he had some degree of involvement with. All of that is public record. These are lawsuits that have been going on for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. They were certainly helpful uh, because because there have been so many lawsuits, that means there's a much larger paper trail as to like his businesses and what he owns and what he doesn't own than there would be otherwise. But that in and of itself wasn't the newsworthy portion because it's really hard to sell the question of like, you know, did Stevanovich have some connection to the Ponzi scheme? That's been litigated for a long time. Could you just for the listeners who may not understand uh why he's under or why he's involved even in the sure, scheme? Yes. How is that connection? Um, so, with regards to this idea of like um, a description of the Ponzi scheme itself, how he became involved, essentially, Stevanovich, um, you know, ran a series of hedge funds, and the goal of those hedge funds is to find ways to invest in enterprises with significant returns. And so, one of the ways that um, sort of Stevanovich, uh, Stavan one of the ways that Stevanovich uh, was able to obtain uh, high returns to a degree is by investing in a Minnesota businessman named Thomas Petters. And so how he would do this would be to essentially uh, provide Thomas Petters with a significant amount of loans. Um, and Petters was apparently pretty regular at managing to repay, back, repay those loans with significant interest. Um, and so in some ways it was a very attractive investment for Stevanovich because Stevanovich was able to um, loan, uh, Stavanovich's funds would, were able to loan a significant amount of capital and also get a significant amount of returns. Yeah, I mean, so, in, in short, and with some caveats, the way that he was involved was he invested more money than almost anyone else, and he got out before the Ponzi scheme ended. Mm -hmm. And that can be enough to, you know, at a minimum, make you a cause for, you know, legal concern, because then there's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that people want to claw back. They want to, the, the theory is that if a Ponzi scheme collapses, there shouldn't be anybody who profited. And so you want to take back all of the money from investors and then sort of redistribute it to the people who lost. Mm -hmm. And so at a minimum, people wanted to get back the however many hundreds of millions of dollars. And then at least initially, and maybe still, there are those who would say like, well, this is very suspicious, you know, maybe you were involved. And so then that's sort of a separate legal issue. Yeah, so and again, a lot of this is... Uh, is partially conjecture um, because Stavanovich doesn't really talk about his motivations for uh, for investing in Thomas Petters' funds. Um, and to be clear, when, when, I, when I refer to Stavanovich as a person, I, I, I'm referring to his, his funds generally because uh, he acts through those funds. I think this is interesting to highlight because the original lawsuit against the university <clears throat> was involved with Stavanovich's original donation and had connections to clawbacks from yeah. the hedge fund, correct? Yes. So what is that connection? So this is a, 
a 2010 lawsuit. It's the first one that was filed against him in the Petters case. And it's basically just a lawsuit against this enormous constellation of funds tied to him uh-huh. saying, we want your money back. Uh, the claim was that he made, he invested like 200 and his, pro- his profit from it was something like $280 million on you know several billion dollars in loans. And so the claim was that they wanted back at least that much and maybe just all of what he invested. Um, but it's been dragging on forever. There was a settlement at one point, then the settlement fell apart, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we're still here. There's still discovery going on. It's still kind of a lie of lawsuit. The most recent thing that they did was they filed this proceeding in, was it May of this year? Yes. May. They, they sued the university and Stevanovich kind of as part of this lawsuit. And the gist of the lawsuit was Stevanovich has all of these unpaid donations, which we didn't know, but you know, he has these donations. The university told us that they're unpaid. We want him to not pay them, basically. It was they wanted an injunction that Stevanovich would not repay his donations because their concern was that if he did, that would be money that would not be returned to the Petters estate. And that these, you know, these false profits is what they call them, these hundreds of millions of dollars that he got that they wouldn't be able to repay that if he was constantly just giving his money away to the university. And the, the reasoning is, like, they would actually be able to, like, I guess, or they, they, in theory, would be able to compel him to return those return those profits, even if he donated to the university, but that would involve the Petters estate, like, actually suing the university for return of those funds, yeah. which would be a case that would be very difficult and to it, win. And it does yeah. bespeak, I think, you know, a question about how much money Steve Stevanovich has, you know, because if he had $5 billion in liquidity there wouldn't be much of a claim to make to say that, you know, a $10 million donation will deprive him of the funds he needs to pay back our claim. Yes. So it suggested at least at that point, you know, the, uh, the trustee whose name is Doug Kelly, the one who's filing all these lawsuits, had concerns about whether Stavanovich could pay. Once Stavanovich divested from the Petters Ponzi scheme in 2007, looking past that, where did his money go and what has Stavanovich been doing with his hedge funds? You want to start? Sure. So... Partially, the answer is we don't know. Um, there, there are not that many good public records. We know that a lot of what his fund owns now and a lot of what it seems to have owned for the past few years is stakes in these two private companies, which were the ones we were focusing on. Um, one is called Skyworks. The other, which we don't have as much information on, is called Alternative Petroleum Technologies. Um, but the truth is we don't have a strong idea of things like how many people are still invested in his fund. You know, What is he doing with the rest of his money if there is a rest of his money? Um, sometimes these things bubble up in the public record. He was he was sued at one point by like the Seattle Employee Retirement System in like 2011. Yeah. He was sued by Bridgestone at one point. So you can tell that at least as of 2010, 2011, 2012, there are people who have money in his funds. But since then, it's harder to tell what's going on or where the money is aside from those companies. We do have a, a, a small point of reference, though, in the sense that um, even before he completely divested from the Petters Ponzi scheme, I think for like a period of like uh, five or six years, he starts investing in this company called Groen Brothers Aviation. Which is Skyworks. Um, which is Skyworks. Um, so you guys have talked a lot about the Groen Brothers Aviation Company and Skyworks, which Stevanovich had a lot of um, investment in. Yeah. But what exactly is this company? Yeah. What were they doing yeah, so before? Groen Brothers Aviation is the leading authority on the science of gyroplanes. Gyroplanes combine the vertical takeoff capability of a helicopter with the speed, safety, and efficiency of an airplane. Yeah, so GBA is so GBA was founded uh, by two brothers. Uh, they're, they're called the Groen Brothers, and I think they were founded in the nineties or eighties. The eighties. And yes. one of them is is not alive anymore, but the other yeah. is still here. So so yeah so so their their purpose was to uh, basically be a company for something known as gyronautics. 
Um, and gyronautics, you can think of it like, you know, gyronautics is like, you know, the study of like how to build, you know, gyroplanes. It's a cross between yeah. helicopters a and A helicopter planes. and a plane. They make yeah. airplanes, basically. Um, so essentially, the, the benefit of gyroplanes, supposedly, is that they can fly faster than helicopters while still being able to take off vertically. Um, and so, you know, the company was clearly promising. The Groen Brothers, um, like, you know, managed to, you know, create one of the first prototypes for uh, a gyroplane in existence. Um, they again were issued a DARPA contract in the early 2000s, um, and eventually, you know, DARPA paid for Phase One of the project. But again, by 2008, um, yeah. the fa after Phase One was completed, they didn't pay for the second phase, um, and so the project was basically abandoned by DARPA. And so, you know, basically, uh, over like you know the space of like a year, um, GBA lost like most of its funding, and so their only source of funding was Stavanovich's loans. Um, or one of the few sources of funding were, were Stavanovich's loans. And so Stavanovich is in some, in some ways a precarious situation, right, effectively, because like, the company was looking promising, and so he made all these investments. Although, to be fair, um, we, we don't know how many other investments he had as of yes. like, you know, this period of time. We know that there, was, you know, that there probably weren't that many left as of like five or ten years later. Uh -huh. For all we know, he had tons of investments that just dried up. Yeah, so again, this is a single point of reference, as I said, uh, mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, so, yes, yeah, Stavanovich is in a precarious situation. GB has issued all these loans, and so Stavanovich, I think, ultimately decides between uh, effectively 2008 and 2010 to start engaging in a strategy of converting all his loans into equity in the company. And after Stavanovich got involved, the goals of the company seemed to shift a lot in terms of they were shifting away from producing gyroplanes and there were incomplete um, product lines. The, so what did they start doing next? Their goals certainly became less clear um it's so it's not so much that like they decided to do something different as it's not clear whether they decided to do anything like as of 2000 it's like this promising company that makes gyroplanes and you know who knows if it's going to work or not but it's a company once Devanovich buys it you know a lot of sort of stranger things that don't have a super obvious connection to the business model start showing up there was this deal um that there was a lot of discussion of where he was going to work with Skyworks was going to work with like a Chinese, a Hong Kong company actually, yeah. uh, and they were going to build this aviation park in Mongolia, and that Inter aviation Mongolia. park was going to Inner Mongolia, yeah. in China, yeah. China, um, and they were going to like build gyroplanes there, and then for some reason they were also going to mine coal, and like the profits from the mining of the coal would somehow partially go to Skyworks, um, and so you have all of these things showing up where it's not especially clear like whether this is the description of genuine business dealings or like some kind of financial, you know, shenanigans going on. It's just not clear what is happening. And it certainly is not clear that any production of gyroplanes is going on. Or even development of gyroplanes. There's, like, evidence that, like, they might have engaged in um, trying to get as many of uh, these previous technologies patented, um, yeah. many of which were developed in the early 2000s. And um, what is weird about this, too, is, like, if you look at, you know, their Twitter and, like, their public face, like, they're still posting all of these articles and things about stuff that happened in, like, 2002, like, there was a, a, a prototype from 2002 that was used at, like, the Salt Lake Olympics or something like that. And they still post articles that are mentioning that or that are mentioning the DARPA contract as if it just happened. <laughs> so that's just kind of weird. Yeah. And their CEO, Jason Chen, he sort of recognized these discrepancies, it seemed like. Their yeah, CEO as of, yeah. as of their 2014, yeah. So he, he at least claimed that, you know, this Wuhan deal is basically a scam or that it's something Skyworks should stay away from. He dropped the company out of that deal. Um, 
sort of, you can talk more about, he did sort of try to get them into this other deal, which I don't think went anywhere either, the AVIC business. Yeah, I don't think it's even worth mentioning, because yeah. like it, it just like fluttered and there's not that much information. But just to be clear, the, the Wuhan deal is the one um, where Stavanovich worked with, or Skyworks worked with a Hong Kong-based um, venture capital company yeah. to start an aviation park in there. And it's worth mentioning that Jason Chen is now suing the company. Um, yeah. Like one of the places we got documents, there's this bankruptcy filing by him and a few other employees and also by the landlord, you know, for things like salaries, rent. Um, you know, Chen claims that he loaned like almost a million dollars to the company and never got it back. So he, he has a motivation for saying what he's saying is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> that was unintentional. Um, but yeah, this is the context where this is all coming out. Is like his claim is that the company basically that you know that he was acting in good faith as CEO and they just never got paid. So we see deals trying to be made, things flutter out. In 2014, there's an evaluation on both Skyworks and APT, the Advanced Petroleum Technologies, correct? Yeah, which is uh, Stavanovich's other investment. Yes, so what was the result of that valuation and who commissioned, who is JLL, who was commissioned to do this valuation? Yeah, so JLL is um, Jones Lang LaSalle. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that completely correctly. Um, but essentially, JLL is like a pretty, you know, pretty legit uh, major uh, financial services company. And so this um, is their Hong Kong branch. Yeah, their, their Hong Kong branch was assigned to do a valuation on these two companies. And, and we, we want to make sure that um, we want to be clear that it was Stavad, one of Stavanovich's funds that commissioned these valuations. And these valuations relied on data provided by Skyworks. Um, as well as the um, investment fund that's the Stavanovich owned. So purely based on those figures provided by these firms, um, the company issued a valuation for both APT yeah. and Skyworks. And an enormous portion of that valuation, like so Skyworks got a figure of $1.7 and the other company got about $700 million. And like I think over half of the valuation given to Skyworks was for the value of like the coal mm-hmm. that it was going to receive through this strange Wuhai deal, and since there is no Wuhai deal, you know, it would seem like that valuation is outdated. We asked Ivanovich, he said that number is low, so, you know, to each their own. <laughs> and also, like, it's, it's important to note that the, the valuations relied on future assumptions, and very, very bold future assumptions, so one yeah. of the assumptions was that, like, Skyworks would have, would produce, like, thousands of um, civil aviation and military aviation planes by, like, 2000, like, was it 2025 or something? Or something like that. Something like that. Um, Which has come to fruition. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it doesn't it, appear to be coming. To yeah, fruition. and it's important to note that at the time, um, well, not at the time, but like you know, like as of two thousand eighteen, Stavanovich still claims that these companies are worth like you know billions of dollars. Yeah. In, uh, cumulatively, they have like one like Skyworks has like one full time employee. They're not building any planes yet, so like it's. This, these valuations result, uh, rely on very very bold assumptions. Yeah. yeah. So just kind of to wrap up the Skyworks part of the story. You mentioned this already, but towards the end of it, after this valuation, we see their operations wind down significantly, right? We see employees leave and disgruntled saying right. operations are basically not non-existent. So to the extent that they had operations, um, around the end of 2014, uh, Jason Chen, who was the CEO we mentioned, quits. A bunch of other employees quit along with, uh, along with him. Their main engineer um, also quits, and he's also one of the people suing them now. And they basically, like, stopped existing as a cut. I think their secretary also quit like two or three months after that. And so they, they basically lose anybody who was previously employed to do work for the company. Um, since then, you know, there's not really anything or like there hasn't been any public record of Skyworks doing business 
since then, but you know, it, we can't even say that they're doing less because we don't know what they were doing, if anything, during 2014, really. And like, just for context, like you know, we mentioned the Jason Chen lawsuit and the former law, former employees lawsuit. And so one of the claims that Stevanovich um, and uh, and uh, David Groen and just GBA as a whole makes uh, in that lawsuit, this involuntary bankruptcy lawsuit, is that like they can barely afford to like pay those um, those like uh, overdue salaries effectively. Um, as of right now, because they, they, they say that it would harm the solvency of the company itself. And so like we're talking like this is a company worth you know $1.7 billion, um, supposedly going to produce like thousands of gyroplanes by like, 2020 or whatnot, um, yet they can barely afford to pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and there salaries. are also these interesting claims of, the other thing they say is, A, we can't afford to pay you, and B, that like, Basically, that Skyworks is on the verge of really hitting it big. You know that there are all these deals about to arrive, and that you know the negative appearance of your employees suing you for salaries you never paid them would get in the way of them being able to go through with those deals. Is another claim they're making in this lawsuit. So a lot of this now going and taking a look back at Stepanovich and his hedge funds, it comes from a lack of oversight for his hedge funds, correct? comes from is a strong phrase. What we can say is that at some point there stopped being, you know, the sort of oversight <laughs> you would expect. And particularly, I think it was the Westford Master Fund is the main one we have this information on. One of the things the SEC is kind of suspicious of is there haven't been audits on this fund for like a decade at this point. Like it was last audited in like 2008, um, yeah. 2007. Yeah. And then as of 2013, in addition to not auditing the fund, they also no longer had this thing called a fund manager, which is another sort of a person whose job it is to, among other things, provide accountability to investors. So part of the narrative that the SEC is concerned about is like in 2013, this fund that has never been audited since 2007 fires its fund manager, and then lo and behold, six months later, the valuation comes in from um, from Jones Lang LaSalle, and then suddenly it goes up in value by like 250% or something like that. Yeah, and it's not like, so So these funds have like, you know, a whole bunch of investors, and a lot of them are pension funds. Um, so like... Or at least and, they yeah. have, we don't know how many they are. Yeah. At, at least at some point they have had pension investors. Yes, at least, pen, uh, at, least at some point. Um, and, like, the problem is, like, you know, investors have noticed that, like, uh, well, at least some investors have noticed that, you know, the Westford funds have not been as transparent as they would have liked. And so they, they don't actually know where their investments are going or how their investments are valued. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, uh, you know, several groups of investors have, in fact, sued um, the Westford funds to yeah. find and discover that information. The, the Seattle retirement system sued them, Bridgestone sued them. Uh, Seattle, Seattle is actually sort of, this is, we didn't include this because it's not that important, but an interesting thing that happened with Seattle's lawsuit is that Seattle was not able to sue Stevanovich, but during discovery they found out that they were basically the only investor in the Stevanovich fund that they were suing for information about. And so they went to, like, the Vir I think the British Virgin Islands and just took control of the fund, and the lawsuit went away. So sort of an unrelated tidbit. This whole Stevanovich story is pretty complicated. You know what isn't complicated? Following the Chicago Maroon on Spotify. Yes, that's right. Your favorite Chicago Maroon podcast team is now on Spotify at the Chicago Maroon. You can find us in the podcast section on Spotify and just click that follow button to get all of our podcast drops put directly into your Spotify podcast stream. So this is all going on with Savanovich and his personal funds. Now bringing it back to the university, 
let's start to understand what was his original pledge. So the original pledge was for seven million, seven million dollars in two thousand six, and that was to endow what exactly? Center for financial, financial mathematics. Yeah. Okay, and he's paid back some of this, or he's paid some of this, but not all of the donation, correct? About yes. four point two million. Yeah, he paid about four point two million of it, and then he's delinquent on the other two point eight. And now, fast forwarding to twenty fourteen, yeah. we see another donation from Stevanovich for ten million dollars, correct? Yes. Yep. And this is going to endow the Stevanovich Institute for the Formation of Knowledge, yes. which opened, I believe, the year before last, or yes. last year correct. maybe. Yeah. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been operational. It's running classes now. It, hosting talks by faculty and things like that, but they haven't received any money for it to be operational. That pledge is, is so far, totally unpaid. So he made, for clarification, he made the second pledge at a point where he hadn't even paid off the first pledge? Not all the first pledge, yeah. And so from, as we can understand it, outsiders, is there any cause for concern initially when he made the second pledge? Pledge? Like, what does it seem was going behind the yeah. scenes? Yeah, the so th- there is this interesting email trail, and this is where it's helpful that there was this clawback lawsuit, because most of these emails were exhibits to the action against the university. You have all these people around the time of the donation saying, like, I don't know about this, you know, there's a clawback lawsuit. It doesn't seem like they were necessarily concerned that he wouldn't pay, but they were concerned that if he did pay, somebody else might come along and sue them to get the money back, basically. Uh, because of the context of this Kelly lawsuit. And mm-hmm. so there were people like, for instance, um, Fidelity Charitable, which you know plays sort of an administrative role in some of these, apparently had some sorts of concerns about this gift and was like not necessarily wanting to help out on it and things like that. And we have some emails saying that mm-hmm. at least a couple people in the gift office you know, were also concerned. But obviously they moved, back those, they moved past those concerns and they took the money. Yeah, to be fair though, those concerns were not about um, the fact that he, he did not pay, or he did not fully pay the 2006 pledge. Right. No, none of these yeah. mentioned the 2006 pledge. They're all about the clawback loss. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that like, you know, when donors don't like, make pledges, they often set like, a schedule, and Stavanovich was in fact respecting that schedule. It could have been paid over 10 years For all at the know. time of the yeah. um, 2014, yeah. 2014 pledge, yeah. Perfect. So the $10 million donation to endow the SIF, the Institute for, for the Formation of Knowledge, mm-hmm. was that, how was he supposedly supposed to pay that back? In what form? So it's it's slightly contested, um, it's, and it's unclear from the documents, but like originally it might have been a cash pledge, but then eventually in an email well, they, so they referred to that the was, idea. I think that was before the pledge. Yeah, but it, imagine, but eventually, you know, in one of the emails, it says that like it introduces the possibility that Stefanovic would pay part of the pledge using securities. Yeah, um, this this is tantalizing because like you know they're saying like oh he's going to pay us with private securities and as as we know from another lawsuit, the main thing Stefanovic owned as of twenty fourteen was a whole lot of private securities in you know the two companies that the SEC is now looking into. Yeah. That we don't know if they're right. all worth. So that we can't we can't actually say like oh he was going to give the university Skyworks stock. You know, it's, <laughs> it's suggestive, I guess. And so, from the university's perspective, they see this move forward, they begin the construction of the SIFC, um, and they're still not seeing a timeline from Stevanovich, correct? Yeah. Yeah. This is where you start seeing people sort of kind of wondering whether Stevanovich is leading them on or like when he's paying them, basically. Um, You have these emails from uh, Joseph Neubauer, who's the president of the board of trustees. Sure. um, The the chair, yeah. yeah. Um, and a couple other people, you know, who are having all of these conversations with Stevanovich and hearing kind of the same line about how valuable his companies are and, you know, I'm going to pay you later and liquidity is not good this year, but maybe next year. Um, and, yeah, no better wonders, like, you know, um, how come we didn't vet this guy? Like, that's, in one of the emails, he basically says that. And, and the answer is, uh, from, like a, from a university gift officer, 
Um, the answer is that you know Stavanovich is on the board of trustees as a trustee, and we don't effectively vet trustees' ability to pay when they make pledges. Um, yeah. And what were these emails? Where are we getting the emails from? These are exhibits to the most recent lawsuit against okay. the, the the clawback-ish related lawsuit against the university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we see Newbauer yeah. raising these concerns. At one point, the financial officer says Stavanovich is just waiting for liquidity. And Neubauer says, he's been saying that for the past two it's, years. It's the yeah. opposite, actually. So oh. Neubauer is talking to the gift officer. He says, like, oh, Stavanovich told me he's waiting for liquidity. And the gift officer's response is, yep, he told me the same thing. <laughs> for the past two years. Okay. And so we see all of this concern playing out. Now, since then, did that affect the final construction of the SIFC? Uh, did the university do anything at this point? Yeah, so, so, this? Yes, the university actually, like, paid for the expenses of, of the SIF because SIF like had to do like a major renovation on an existing building and so the university actually had to pay out of pocket. The university actually tried, um, I think it was Neubauer that tried to do this, it was, tried to get money from... Um, so, so it wasn't, they, they didn't, so Stavanovich reached out actually I yeah. guess because he was hearing that there were all these unforeseen expenses <laughs> what he told the university was I can't give you any more money um, but basically if it would help with administrative reasons, if I just said I will give you more later on. <laughs> like, if I, if I took my $10 million pledge and I made it a $15 million pledge but still didn't pay you, Neubauer yeah. said no, you know, but if you could just, you know, give us $250,000 in cash, that would be great. And Stavanovich said, you know, maybe next year, basically. Yeah, yeah so this man who owns a company, uh, supposedly an evaluation of like $1.7 billion, can't afford $250,000. Apparent, yeah. Apparently not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And so, he still stands by that evaluation, correct? Oh, he does. It's more. He said, he said, if anything, it's low. <laughs> and since then, hasn't he also mentioned to some financial officers in the university of future dona donations? There's mention of that? Vaguely, yes. yeah. So I think it was in 2017. Yeah, this was a conversation with the same guy who had been talking to Neubauer. He had this lunch conversation with him, and he was like, oh, you know, nine-figure donation might be possible, or at least that's what the gift officer quotes him saying, like, yeah, I might give $100 million to the university in the future. And it's interesting, he says that, like, you know, it's probably not going to go to financial aid because he doesn't believe in financial aid because he wants to, you know, because he, he believes in working, you know, working yourself to make ends meet. Yeah, um, it was an interesting, he also was doing a bit of, you know, philosophizing about, you know, his approach to gifts in this. So there was the whole, like, I won't give to scholarships. Um, you know, he, he's, like, critical of the Bill Gates approach to philanthropy, whatever that means. He thinks that it's too piecemeal. Um, he wants to do something more transformative than the Pearsons. He has all these detailed thoughts about what he'll do with his $100 million donation. announces the investigation or yeah. what, what were the details it becomes it? public through this it becomes lawsuit. public yeah uh, and so what were the what was the basis of the investigation yeah. so the SEC so it's 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 somewhat nebulous because Stavanovich continues to claim that the SEC is not investigating him so in reality the investigation seems to be surrounding um, a comp uh, another hedge fund or a series of hedge funds called West Mountain LLC. The, the investigation is at least named after another hedge fund yes um, that, that said, the SEC, you know, is, is reasonably clear in its public documents that at least one of the people they're investigating is Stavanovich, and they say, like, here's what we're investigating Stavanovich for, but it's true that we could not get him 
to admit the investigation was about him, yeah, which so, was very interesting. So just for context, West Mountain LLC, uh, this other series of hedge funds owned by this guy named Paul Lar, is a major investor in both Skyworks and APT. And so obviously if the SEC was investigating these companies, as, as the investigation name suggests, they would be investigating these other uh, the companies that the, these funds own, right? And one of those, those companies is Skyworks. Um, and so part of the Skyworks investigation involves trying to determine a valuation for uh, Skyworks. And so the SEC is basically claiming that um, investors were told by both Stevanovich and possibly by Paul Lar that Skyworks was valued at one point seven billion. Although we, we don't have any quotes from them about what they think of Paul Lar. That's true. Yeah. We, we don't know what the SEC is investigating about West Mountain. What we yeah. know is that the investigation is, for whatever reason, named after West yeah. Mountain. Yeah. So, so Stevanovich apparently claims, according to the uh, according to the SEC, Stevanovich apparently claimed to investors that Skyworks was what, worth one point seven billion. So the SEC is trying to determine, like, how is it worth one point seven billion? And they believe that one of the ways that they would be able to establish whether this valuation is accurate is by looking into uh, David Groen. Um, who, you know, as the, he's basically the CEO of Skyworks, he is the CEO of a Skyworks effectively, at least at the time, would know the most about, you know, how right. the company's valued $1.7 billion. One of the things that they also want to do as part of the investigation is to look at whether, um, because they, they suspect the valuation is inflated, they want to look at whether Stavanovich benefited in some way as the owner of the funds or as the investor that that's that claimed that Skyworks was yep. worth one point seven billion, and how they want to do this is by looking into his personal finances, and so they they effectively subpoenaed his personal bank records. Yeah, um, and that's what's that's that's why Stavanovich tried to resist the subpoena in some way. So, for context, one of the sort of invasive. puzzling details about this is that there are hundreds of millions of dollars of fees that Stavanovich's funds nominally owe to him. And basically everyone agrees that these funds either don't have, like probably don't have the money to pay him $250 million in advisor fees. But what the SEC is wondering basically is like, why are there so many advisor fees? Like what is the point of inflating the value of a hedge fund, thus accumulating advisor fees that the hedge fund won't be able to pay you because the hedge fund doesn't have money. And so there's a question of whether he's trying to somehow circumvent you know, the, the, make it seem like the hedge funds have less liquidity than they do, or if he wants to, you know, get paid back later once investors come back in, or like, what is the purpose of having these enormous unpaid advisor fees? Yeah, and uh, sort of like, and this is, this is somewhat conjecture because the SEC doesn't mention this explicitly, but like one of the ways that like, although he, he, he claims that he himself doesn't receive these advisor fees, um, one of the ways that he might actually profit off the scheme is by basically saying, well, I, like, I want to I borrow a lot of money for my personal use, and I can use it as a hedge the fact that I own this fund that has like a major investment in a $1.7 billion company. Right. Yeah, or you know, to be able to say like I have $250 million in coming in once the liquidity arrives. It's yes. better than not being able to say that. For sure. And so all of this seems to be most of what we can make of Stephen Stevanovich, <coughs> correct? So to kind of go back through the story, because there's been a lot. <laughs> Stevanovich, a trustee of the university, um, his, early donate, uh, his early hedge fund management is involved in a Ponzi scheme, and he seems to make money off these really high-interest loans, correct? Yeah. yeah. And from there, he invests in Groen Brothers Aviation. Mm -hmm. And we see Groen Brothers uh, involved in gyroplanes, but by the time that Stevanovich takes a hold of them, it's questionable where their money's coming from or what their valuation may be. And after years after Stavnovich takes control, there's almost no employees at the company. 
Yeah. Um, some deals have fallen through, and there doesn't seem to be much value to the company and from an it's outside worth perspective. Noting, by the way, that for all we know, and it's it's very possible that his goal all along was to acquire this company because like the loans that he was making to the company, we have a figure that says he gave them like. 12-ish million dollars, and five years later, their debt to him was like hundreds of millions of dollars. 150 million. Yeah, and so this, the, it, what one interpretation that some people have claimed in legal documents is that his purpose all along was just to saddle them with enough debt that they would either stop being a company mm-hmm. or exchange that debt for Stevanovich owning them. This is like people call it like a loan-to-own strategy. And I just want to sort of talk about like the university's relationship and all this. Yeah. Um, and... Now, this is where we get into conjecture because like, we don't have you know, all the information available to us. But it is important to note that Stavanovich is not only the, on the board of trustees of the university, but he's also on the, on the, on the board of governors of the Argonne National Laboratory. And as, as the university manages the, uh, the ANL of the Argonne National Laboratory, um, they're basically able to, in some ways, advise on the process of appointing board of governors. And Stavanovich's presence on the Board of Governors at Argonne is like pretty curious because if you look at the other members on the board, many of them are scientists, and a lot of them are just like top tier executives. Like Stavanovich really does stand out in terms of like being like this one hedge fund dude that with like you know that owns a hedge fund that like not many people know about. And it's also important to note that there are claims that Stavanovich is benefiting or using his position on the Board of Governors to benefit himself. Um, Playing that. Uh, in the Jason Chen suit, um, there is a claim um, yeah. that basically effectively states that um, Stavanovich is trying to get a lucrative contract with Argonne uh, to work on some sort of product that would benefit his company. It's also important to note that I think two or three of the members on the board of Skyworks are affiliated with Argonne in some way. There's Peter Littlewood, yeah. who's the former head of Argonne, um, and you know they would have they would have interacted with each other because he's on the Argonne board of governors. And also there's this other dude, um, a senator, Byron, I think it's... Byron Dorgan. Byron Dorgan, uh, who has some affiliation. And he might actually be on the board of Argonne as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think... It and to is, be clear, that's claimed by one of the lawsuits, correct? That it's claimed by one of the lawsuits, but like the fact that there are two people that are on the board of Skyworks um, that are affiliated with Argonne, that's completely true. Yeah. Um, but the, there is a claim that like he is benefiting off his position at Argonne. Um, yeah. And since this report dropped in August, has there any been any movement on the SEC case? Have you heard any news from there? Nothing from publicly, no. No. So, so the, yeah. So I the, mean, we haven't heard anything publicly. That, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, the you know, uh, Groen was compelled to uh, follow the, uh, Groen was compelled by a court to um, basically, you know, adhere to the subpoena. Um, and so after that, the case went dark because it, it is a private investigation. SEC investigations can last between a few months and a few years. So it might be, um, like Spencer and I might both graduate before we hear news yeah. uh, of the it's, outcome. It's of the worth noting also that the lawsuit that we originally found out all of this stuff from, the one against the university, is now on hold um, and basically doesn't seem to be going that well for the trustee. Uh, the reason being that they, they, the judge was suspicious of the idea that you should be able to claw back or prevent a donation before winning a lawsuit. Because yeah. no, no one has yet successfully won a judgment in court that says Stevanovich owes money as a result of the Ponzi scheme. Um, and so it seems like the consensus is you can't sue the university to stop him from giving to it until you've actually won a judgment against Stevanovich himself. So that lawsuit mm-hmm. is now on hold. And have we seen any fallout, or have we seen ever any response from the university since this has come out? Nothing on the record. Nope. Perfect. 
Not aside from, you know, the statement they gave us when we ran the article. And what was that statement? It was an expression of confidence in Stevanovich and a statement of an agreement, which is that they, they have agreed that they're not going to accept payment on his pledges until the lawsuit with Kelly is resolved. Which is not, to be clear, that's not an agreement with Kelly. That's sort of like an agreement. That's something the university has pledged to do. Yeah, and it, it's, it's important to note that in one of the emails, I think, um, it was an email from Neubauer to uh, Zimmer's office. Uh, Neubauer, in, I think it was in 2007, 17, 2017. Neubauer says that, or it was at the end of 2016, Neubauer basically says that we should stay with Stavadovich for one more year, potentially suggesting that like um, they want him to be on the board of trustees for one more year, but then well, in their statement, they say that. Uh, sort of. So, so yeah. this, this is right after the you know, Stevanovich offering to increase his pledge but not pay any more money. He forwards this, this exchange to Dezimmer and he says something like, you know, as I suspected, it may be some time before we see, like, hard cash uh, from Stevanovich. However, we should try with, he's, he's trying, and we should stay with him for next year. And it's unclear what, what stay, <laughs> stay with means, yeah. It could mean, like, you know, if he doesn't pay, then they'll, they'll follow through with legal action, or it could be Although, could mean all sorts of things. Yeah. It didn't sound like a threat to me. Yeah. You know, it, didn't, it didn't sound like if, he, you know, if it doesn't work next year, we're going to you know, drop him from the board or something. <coughs> and they certainly That's haven't true. yet. But the takeaway is that it's really not clear what's going to result from all of this, right? Yeah. yeah. I imagine there are, there are discussions. Um, of course. Well, it was an incredible report, guys. And thank you so much for sitting down to talk with all of us. Of course. Great. Of course. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Have a great one. See you guys here. And that is the story of Steven Stevanovich. Music for the Chicago Maroon is produced in part by Kenny Talbot La Vega, Aaron Senden. Thank you again to Yuram and Spencer for their incredible reporting. Thank you guys so much.